All right. Hey, everyone. My name is Brian Connolly with Faith Like Birds Ministries, and I have the honor of having Eric Gilmore here with me with Sunship. Yeah, Sunship International. Boy, we're off to a great start. I, I just told Eric, I said, man, I'm not the best at this. And here we go. I'm already slipping up. So Sunship International. I was just actually telling Eric, I said, you know, I'm so grateful because Eric Eric is a, is an author. You know, he he loves Jesus with all of his heart, and that comes out clear in his teachings and in his travels and YouTube videos and his books. Um, but if you have the chance, if you've never listened to any of Eric's music, man, you've got to. The amount of times that I have used his music in my contemplations and meditations with the Lord. I know for a fact it's on Apple Music, and I know for a fact because I have the playlist. I'm sure it's on Spotify, Eric. I can only imagine. Yes, it is. Awesome. And so Eric is also a father. Uh, I think you have two girls. Yeah, I do. That's awesome, man. I've got four. So I, I've it's 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 a lot. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of I'm greatly outnumbered. He's all the prayer in the world in that regard. Um, but the reason why, and of course, Eric's a husband, the reason why I'd ask Eric um, to be a part of this this conversation, this Zoom interview, is for those that don't know, I'm, I'm a doctor in ministry student with Global Awakening, Dr. Clark, Dr. Randy Clark's ministry in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. And my project is on the role that encounters with the Holy Spirit have on setting kids free, namely from rejection, them coming alive in the Father's love, receiving that baptism of the Father's love and watching the lies melt and, and be replaced with the truth. So I had the privilege of interviewing uh, Daniel Kalenda, um, Steve Hill's uh, widow, Jerry Hill, and now now having the privilege of oh, another gentleman by the name of Robbie Leaf, and now having the privilege to interview Eric because he was there. And I am all about gathering primary sources, firsthand accounts, and uh, and we're going to let Eric tell us. I, this is an interview, but we want it to function more like an organic conversation. Um, but I, I just I'm captivated by these stories. And one of the reasons why we're doing this and uploading it uh, to our channel is we want you to be touched. We want hope to rise up within you. If you're a mom, if you're a dad, uh, if you're a student, what God did then he can do now. And Dr. Randy Clark said when I interviewed him about what happened in Toronto, he said, God gives every generation its chance at revival. And and Toronto happened in 94, Brownsville happened in 95 to 2000. Guys, that means we're on the brink. We're on the cusp of God doing something wonderful. You can feel it. It's just in the air. So Eric, thanks, man, for being here, dude. What a privilege. My honor, man. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So would you mind just letting us know how old were you during that time when you were down in, in Pensacola? I was a sophomore in high school when I first uh, passed through the threshold Wow, man. revival. <laughs> <laughs> That's so wonderful. Oh, and by the way, I, I have Dr. Uh, Michael Brown is one of my uh, professors. So I know you've got a longstanding relationship with him. And he was our key Old Testament class, uh, key Old Testament text professor. And some of the stories, man, that he would tell, he talked about some of the kids, I guess, being there, the young people with like shorts on, it's hot, it's, it's Florida. And he's like, dude, he's like, they would run down the aisle and slide on their knees. Their knees would be skinned up because they were just responding in hunger to what it was that was being preached and, and the repentance that was hitting their heart. But just out of the gate, and I asked this to Daniel, but I'd love to hear your perspective on this. What was drawing the young people there? Why were they coming? Why were they coming? Like, why is Robbie Leaf, you know, and his group coming from Tulsa, Oklahoma, all the way down, you know, to Pensacola? What was drawing the young people there during that time? There was manifested presence of Jesus. Mm -hmm. and the reality of God was made manifest and tangible in the building. And the word of it started to spread like crazy. And once kids started to experience the riches 
of Christ mm. through the gospel and through the Holy Spirit outpouring, they became addicted because they were finding the reason why they were even created. They found joy above all of the joys. They found peace that passed the ability to be understood. They became exuberant, vibrant worshipers and crazy evangelists overnight. Wow, that's insane, dude. Well, I could tell you. So I told Eric, I said, Daniel said, I have to interview Eric because he's the most articulate. And right out of the gate, dude, it was, no. it's, just, it's just wonderful. So I love that. It reminds me of, um, I'm sure you're familiar with what happened uh, during the Hebrides revival. Uh, Duncan Campbell was the man's name. And uh, you can watch this stuff. Like you can watch like the revival hymn Redux on YouTube. And he's like, when God stepped down in his like, you know, I think it was British accent or whatever. And he said, you know, revival is, you know, when God grips a community, when God steps down and you said it, he became manifest, you know, and, and gripped the entire community. Um, Robbie was telling me stories about what had happened at the gas station, the sicko gas station. Daniel was saying like, it wasn't just in the building, like it was in restaurants, it was in hotel rooms, you know, did you have any experience with those kinds of things? <laughs> Every night uh, you'd go to Shoney's. It was one of the only places still open after the revival. And uh, because they would pray for people until two and three in the morning many times, wow! you'd go to Shoney's, which was a buffet restaurant, and you'd have to step over bodies many times to get to your table because they were underneath the power of God. Uh, many times in Walmart, in, you'd see somebody walking through and they're manifesting underneath the power, just trying to shop. And there'd be, you know, these <laughs> physical reactions to the manifest presence that was resting upon them. You'd see it in, in public. There's many stories of people just walking in from the street saying, I was drawn in here by what seemed to be a power wow. and they would get born again. You know, um, there is also stories of people that had uh, been going to do something in the city and they got in a cab and was like, you know, our plans got canceled. Is there anything that's real cool to do in the city? And the cab driver's like, well, I keep taking people to this revival. So they <laughs> take them to the revival. They walk in the back and they get they fall under conviction of sin, they give their lives to the Lord, and then they go to the altar at the end to talk to the pastor, and they say, we feel like we need new names. We've been born again. <laughs> Holy smokes. That reminds me. So, I mean, I just watched uh, Amy Elizabeth Ward, I believe was her name, her yeah. video, where, um, and even the youth pastor at the time, guy by the name of Richard Crisco, even said concerning her, she was a snot, she was mean. Amy would tell you that herself. And in her story, she talked about being at the altar, Steve Hill praying for her. She fell down under the power of the Holy Spirit. And during that time of shaking and trembling, the jerks, all that stuff that comes a lot of times with as God is doing a work inwardly, stuff starts happening outwardly. There's, you know, outward manifestations of God putting people back together and cleaning things out, delivering them not just from their sin, but the sins committed against them. And her story is one where her hand shot up in the air and, and, um, God, I guess in her own words, pulled her up, you know, to the point where her feet were almost leaving the ground. And, uh, and while her hand was in the air and shaking, you know, and dropping her back down to the ground, the Lord told her during that manifestation, this is what's going to happen to your life when you let go of my hand. And, uh, but through that, the change being so extreme, so radical, um, she, she said the Lord told her that if, if in order to match the change in order to, to, to coincide with the transformation, you have to have a new name. And so she took on the name Elizabeth, which means consecrated to the Lord, which is actually a theme, Eric, that 
I keep running into, you know, uh, what was so interesting, it seems about Brownsville, I wasn't there, you were there. You mentioned, you know, about the, 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 um, uh, you know, um, Oh, come on. What'd you just say about the people being convicted of their sin and, yeah. and, and, and how Steve really seemed to champion living pure, living holy, living consecrated, you know, giving your all to the Lord. Um, one of the biggest things I keep running into, and maybe it's true in your own life as we get ready here to just kind of find out what happened to you personally, you know, during that time. But consecration seems to be a massive theme, this idea of living holy, getting rid of the junk that grieves the Holy Spirit, get even to the point of letting go of, of, of some secular music, secular movies that some of us may even say that wouldn't grieve God. I mean, Daniel Kalenda said, he goes, the only thing I could tolerate was worship. I couldn't even tolerate contemporary Christian music. The only thing I could tolerate was worship. And I thought to myself, wow, like this is just so intense. Talk to me about that theme of consecration coupled with what happened with you during that time as you were a sophomore in, in high school? What things happened to you in the midst of the revival? You know, a quote comes to mind uh, from John Wesley. He said, the Christian is kept from sin by greater attractions to Christ. That is what happened to me. I became uh -huh. so overwhelmingly attracted to this man, Christ Jesus, mm -hmm. experienced through his word and through worship that I had lost all other desires, my other interests withered away because I had found something so bright, all these lesser lights just vanished. So even the consecration, it happened to me more than it was something that I did. Mm. It was more of like, uh, why? I have him. What do these things have to do with me? Why would I, why would I condescend to pleasure when I have Christ? You know, so for, for me, it was uh, a natural response. Uh, I didn't even have to take out a piece of paper and find the things that were in my life that weren't supposed to be there anymore. I literally had lost desire for the other things and found all in him. I was just actually reading before we got on Genesis chapter 17. Mm. The scripture says, before Abraham's name is changed from Abram to Abraham, God reveals himself to him as El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. In other words, everything you need and everything you're looking for is right here. <laughs> and when he sees God as that, his name changes. That's really what happened in a small measure in my own life. I found everything in him and it transformed my whole being. I feel like I got that day a brand new name. So consecration, absolutely. But it wasn't really even a religious devotion. It was more of a love captivation. Mm, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I often tell people, um, holiness is a love affair with the Lord, right? Like the more, the more, the more real he becomes, the more you fall in love with him intrinsically. If I'm in love with my wife, I'm going to do the things that please my wife. I'm not going to do the things that displease her. And I love that. And that's that so characterizes your ministry. You know, um, you have the hat adoration. I have the I have the shirt. I have the white shirt adoration across the front. And uh, it's the it really is the more we behold him, the more we see him, the more in love that we fall. Um, so during that time, you know, as, as God's becoming real, and I love what you said, consecration was just the natural by byproduct of, of God awareness, God reality, God becoming real. He becomes my all in all. And, and there can be no substitutes. There can be, he's not interested in double dating, you know, you and something else. Was there, was there anything going on in your life? Was there a deliverance that took place? Was there, were you backslidden in any way? You know, different people I talk to, they're in different conditions. Where did you find yourself 
prior to that moment um, when God became everything to you? Well, I was deeply wicked, but didn't really recognize it because I grew up in the church and I knew a lot about God, mm. but I didn't know God. I didn't realize that my wickedness was bound up in not knowing God. I didn't realize that that was something that I needed to be saved from. Like the scripture tells us in Jeremiah, he says, my people have committed two evils. They've mm -hmm. forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewn out for themselves cisterns, cisterns mm -hmm. that cannot hold water, which shows me that the wickedness that we have really is not receiving our satisfaction from God. That is the essence of sin. And that's what I was steeped in. And it wasn't that I was sleeping around. I never, you know, slept with anybody. I never drank and never did anything. I never did any drugs, n none of that kind of stuff. But I was deeply wicked with self-satisfaction and self-centeredness. And I didn't have the crown of my life on the head of Christ. And therefore I deserved hell. And mm -hmm. I, re I realized it. Um, and so I realized that, you know, as Leonard Ravenhill said it best when he said, Jesus didn't come to make bad men good men. Yeah. He came to make dead men live. You don't need God because you're bad. We don't need God because we're bad per se, as much as we need him because we're dead. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, self-centered and self-focused, being the manager of my own life. That's the greatest sin in the world is to be the manager of your own life. It deserves hell because it robs God of his godness and it takes it upon yourself and you become a little deity unto yourself. And this is damnable. That's what I saw of myself and I threw myself at his mercy. One of the things that I was really delivered from in the midst of this being a mini God unto myself by not submitting to Christ in the gospel was I was convinced that I was Tupac Shakur. <laughs> I dressed like him. I, I wanted to rap. It's like the 90s, him. man. You know what I mean? You could. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so my identity was found in trying to be like him trying to think like him take on his thought patterns and i would study his lyrics and things like this and it was so twisted in my brain that i i was i was even in a way prejudiced against my own race i didn't want to be around my own race i wanted to be only with black people i didn't want to be around white people at all um so i was it was real it was real weird up here in the head but after mm. i met jesus i was delivered from the need to present to the world what I thought was cool. I was wow. delivered from the need to present to others what I thought they would accept. I was delivered from the need to present to others what I wanted to be seen as mm -hmm. because I had found a satisfaction in being loved <laughs> by God wow. and accepted by God. It set me free. It was the greatest freedom inside that I was in a cage and I didn't even know it until Jesus came and, and took the bars off and brought me out until the liberty of knowing God, wow. not just liberty from sin. Yes, but there's something even greater than liberty from sin. It's the liberty of knowing God. Amen. And that's exactly what John says is eternal life, right? John 17, 3. So there's so many scriptures, Eric, that are coming to mind. The people that sat in darkness in the land, Nephtali and Zebulun, behold, you know, a great light had shone. And Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John 3, and even, even his conversation with the woman at the well, which is one of my favorite stories. If you knew who it was asking you for a drink, you'd ask me. And I think it always comes down to that if we knew him, right? And so I always tell young people, you know, Matthew 16 is going to be the greatest question you're ever going to answer. It's not, where am I going to go to college? Who am I going to marry? What am I going to do with my life? You know, what career am I going to have? It's who do you say that I am? So you're touching on something so deep and so profound. And when when that light shines, like you, oh, it's like 
my story is not your story. I was, I was off the deep end crackhead, you know, very similar to Todd's story with our mutual friend. Um, you know, not to the full extent of having a gun pulled on me or anything like that, by the grace of God, I didn't. Um, but you're talking about even like heart motivations. You're talking about like deep seated stuff that nobody else knows, but you know, at the end of the day, cause you know, yourself, you go to bed with yourself every night. And when that light shines, which Jesus says is the judgment in John three, he says, you know, a light had shown and the peoples whose deeds were done in darkness ran from the light, but the peoples whose were wrought in truth ran to the light. And so there's almost like this microscopic thing that takes place. That I don't know. Cause I wasn't there. You know, my heart is hung, you're hungering for these things. My heart is thirsting for these things as I'm reading about this and doing my paper on this. And we see it on small scales. You know, we do events with youth and, and things like that. And, and these kids, they weep. And, and that, in fact, uh, Dr. Randy Clark said one of the one of the primary evidences that that God is moving is young people get touched. And typically the most prominent manifestation is holy tears where okay. kids begin to weep. And, uh, and it's because it's that baptism of love. It's that reality of, I now know God, you know, and, uh, and I'll often say it's, it's the greatest need in this generation is, is God reality. So what other things was the Lord doing? You're there, you're an eyewitness, you're looking around, you know, you're having your own experiences. I imagine, you know, probably just wasn't a one and time done thing. I know you became a student at the Brownsville Revival School of Ministry. What was the Lord doing? to the youth there? What were some stories that you remember? What were some observations you recounted or able to recount? You know, what, what were the manifestations you saw? What was God doing with the teenagers that were there? Well, first of all, I would have to say that the exuberance of worship, mm. uh, praise, was uh, what I like to say in modern day services, we try to pull people up and keep them up here. But in Brownsville, it was like you, they were already up there. You had to try to pull them down. It was like upside down. The, uh, you know, in modern services, the magnet seems to be on the ground and people are being pulled down and we're trying to keep them up. But in Brownsville, it was like the magnet was up here. People were just pulled automatically up into exuberant worship. I remember getting there early and Lyndall Cooley would come out for a tiny sound check before we would start. He would just touch the keys. And people would run to the altar and just begin to dance or lift their hands and just worship the Lord. And he's not even leading yet. He's just checking the sound. Wow. <laughs> the, the worship, number one, was exuberant, lively. It was loving. It was heartfelt. It was emotional and affectionate unto God. I mean, tears dripping down people's faces as we sing, you know, holy and anointed one. Jesus, you know, that's one thing. Two, at the end of the service is when things would get crazy. They would just go out into the crowd and lay hands on folks. And that's when you would see really strange things happen. Um, people would shake, a lot, lots of the youth would begin to shake uncontrollably. Um, they would, you know, immediately fall down under the, the weight of the presence of God. Many people would laugh. And we're talking like rolling on the ground laughter for long periods of time, which are naturally probably not sustainable. Um, you would see people blissed out, like I like to say, like laying on the ground in a in a in like a blissful state that would last sometimes for over an hour, just stuck down there on the floor. You'd see people uh, just ab absolutely overcome with emotion, just sitting there weeping because of a 
a, a manifestation of Christ that was real to them. But ultimately, the thing that was the most telling for me that this is genuine is that when the service was over and people went home, they wanted to be alone with God. And that to me was the marker. Wonderful that manifestations happened to them. I love that. I'm all for it. But the next day, that public touch had drawn them to find private kisses. I love that. Yeah. I, uh, I've actually, I think, I think I may have heard that from you. I'll, I'll even say that. I'll say, Eric Gilmore says what happens publicly needs to translate to something privately, you know, and it's just true. You want to see that reality. When I was um, filled with the spirit for the first time in 2009, one of the things I'll often say was I didn't speak in tongues, you know, right out of the gate. But what changed was I felt like I had the capacity to love him in a way that I couldn't love him before. Oh, and I said, and that's always been my heart's desire. I was in the meeting because I wanted to be delivered from a 20-year addiction to pornography, which I was by the grace and power of God. But what changed was my worship, which is something that you touched on. I mean, the people came in, they were already primed. The pump was already primed. They were ready to go. And I found myself able to love him, in, but it came through, just to bring it full circle again, everything you've already said, it came through God reality. In that moment, God was real to me at 19 when he delivered me from drug addiction, all those things. The forgiveness of my sins became real. And we read in the scriptures, we know that, that those are forgiven much, love much. So there was already a love that was present um, as a result of that. But that encounter in 2009 caused me to want to do nothing but to lay on my face and just worship the Lord. Um, so I love, I love that. I love that you're highlighting that that was a fruit, you know, of the revival. Typically what we'll, we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll say, well, I was delivered from this, 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 and I love all that. And that's what we're trying to do with our own ministry is see kids delivered. Eric, what has been, I mean, anybody that knows you, knows you're an international, you know, minister, you travel, you host schools of his presence, you know, people can invite you in to do these different things. You're an author, musician, Aside from that, you know, you mentioned uh, just in your own way, the, the natural, you know, result of, of consecration. What has been the fruit in your life since that time? What did God do with Brownsville to bring you to where you are now currently? Well, ultimately, I fell in love with Jesus, meaning I had such birthed inside of me such affection for him that I gladly want to give my entire life to his service and to spending time with him to know him upon knowing him upon knowing him to find out what he has to say in his word and cherish it and and love people as he has loved me so I'm, I'm seeing these are the simple results of what happened to me by be, re receiving the spirit in Brownsville affections for Jesus Christ that translate in these ways, wanting to be with him, wanting to please him and give him all that he desires, wanting to love as he loves and to give my, my entire life to his service. That's really the essence of where I am today, still trying to grow in all of those things. I want to grow in my knowing. I want to grow in my love. I want to grow in my knowledge of the Lord. I want to grow in my consecration. And I want to grow in my giving of myself to his purposes and his service. And I just want to continue increasingly grow in these areas for the rest of my life. Um, so that's really the main thrust of what happened. Began, set in motion that day. Mm. In you know, I just read Jonathan Edwards' biography. Just finished it when I was with Todd. When he was filled with the Spirit, you're going to love this. He said, 
after the filling of the Spirit, he said, prayer seemed to be natural to me. The breath by which the inward burnings of my heart had vent. <laughs> so what does that mean? It means a flame of God entered into him when he got filled with the Spirit. And the heat of that flame had to get out somehow. And it could only get out by prayer. <laughs> How do you memorize that stuff, man? Like you can memorize quotes and like, I feel like I do a pretty good job memorizing scriptures. But I mean, when I listen to you, like you'll quote people, you'll quote Leonard Ravenhill, who's a favorite of mine, you know, as well um, and stuff. But uh, yeah, there was something else that had come to my mind. Maybe it'll come back. Um, were you called into the ministry during that season, Eric? What did your calling look like? Yeah, so I was born again, filled with the Spirit, and I was going back and forth to Brownsville for a few years before I went to school there in 1999. That's when mm -hmm. I started college there. Um, but in 1998, it was 10-8, 1998, I was sitting on my bed all alone in my room doing what I had fallen in love with doing. I became addicted to the way it feels when I give all my attention to God. So I was sitting on my bed, holding my attention upon the Lord, reading the scripture slowly and praying. And I had an, an experience uh, that I can't, I don't know where it came from. It had to come from the Lord, but my tongue and my mouth began to tingle like they had completely fallen asleep. And not just a little bit, it was so much that I couldn't, I couldn't move my mouth. I started to drool a little bit because I was just holding on to this sensation that was happening to my mouth and my, and my tongue. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, behold, I put my words in your mouth. And I, as I was reading that portion of scripture, behold, I put my words in your mouth. And it lasted for a couple of minutes. It was really amazing. I wrote it down and I knew that was the day God called me, but he hadn't released me. But after I graduated Brownsville in 2001, started working for Bunky until 2007, started doing construction, had my, my kids, and 2010 came, I have two kids, and God then speaks to me. And he says, will you, or I want you to speak for me. And I knew that went back to 1998. So I was called in 98 and released in 2010 to actually go and, and preach. And he's opened doors since then. And that's, that's what it looked like. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I mean, it just reminds me of David. David anointed his king, you know, as a young kid, first Samuel, you know, 16, but it's years later till, you know, it's released and stuff. You see so many people today. It's really unfortunate um, trying to force, you know, and that's a whole other conversation. I'm not going to go down that road um, just for the sake of time, Eric, because I know you're busy and, and everything else. Um, what, why is, why is an encounter with God so um, important for young people today. I mean, we're hearing your story, your recounting stories, what happened to Brownsville. Uh, I even asked you, I'm like, hey, would you ever come and be a part you know, of what we're doing? Why is, why is a young person encountering the Lord of the utmost importance, especially in this day and hour? That's kind of a curveball. I didn't give that one to you ahead of time, but just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. I think the reason why an encounter with God is so important is because God is important. You say, oh, that's so simple. But what I really mean by that is if he's a person, mm -hmm. he has to be known only through experience. So if knowing God is everything, if that's what all things are about, even the deliverance from sexual sin is a knowing God issue. Uh, you know, deliverance from self is a knowing God issue. If knowing God is eternal life, if grace and peace are multiplied to us in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that knowledge necessitates experience. So encounter brings us to experiential knowing 
of God. The taste and see. John says what we have looked at, what we've seen, what we've touched with our hands. This we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Praise God. So we have this experience that brings us into annoying. Do you remember in the road to Emmaus, Jesus, he expounds to them the things concerning himself and all the scripture. And then the scripture says that they knew him. But there's something that happened in between the scripture and knowing him. And it was a burning heart. Mm -hmm. There was an experience of God that brought the things that were taught into being caught. It, it brought it from the brain into the blood. It translated from information to revelation by an experience of God. This is why encountering God and living a life of encountering God is the only way to grow in the knowing of the Lord. And that's what the gospel does. It takes the door off the hinges for all men to come in and behold the beauty and majesty of this man, Christ Jesus. And that's the encounter we're looking for, to see him rightly. So good. Again, more scriptures to come in my way. <laughs> Acts 17 is one of my favorites where it says, you're basically here that you would search for and grope for and find him. And, uh, and I tell young people all the time, like, guys, if you want to know the why behind the what, if you want to know why you're here, everybody's like, what's my calling? You know, what's my purpose? You know, the big existential questions, who am I and why am I here? They're answered in everything that you just said. It's about searching for, groping for, and finding him. Eric, if people wanted to know more about you, your ministry, um, you know, discover your books, your music, where would you send them? Where could they go? Well, all of our books are on Amazon. We've got 30 of them out there. So grab a hold of them. They're all about Jesus, this wonderful man who is inexhaustible in riches and pleasure and joy. There's that. There's music all over the place. They're very still, quiet, intimate, instrumental, and even some have our songs as well. We have, they're on every music medium. But our YouTube channel is where most of our traffic comes through. We have hours of music on there, hours of teaching on there, and also hours of short films on there. But the thing that I'm investing my time in most these days is on Tuesday night, I have a mentoring group where we meet from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Tuesday. And we wait on the Lord. We open the scriptures. We pray. There's question and answer. And it's a wonderful time and a wonderful community called Adoration mentoring international wow. and it's a wonderful time if they want to jump on that it's uh through being a partner through patreon um they can see it on any of my videos but yeah you make it super simple to do that. I mean, you're even willing to say, hey, just a dollar a month, right? You know, just, you know, come be part. So, you know, partnering with Eric is super simple. His merchandise is also on his website. Um, Eric, honestly, um, I've been looking forward to this for weeks, ever since I set it up with your assistant. You're somebody that I look up to. Um, the very same people you look up to by way of like Leonard Ravenhill, Andrew Murray, even Jonathan Edwards, different people. I'm like, this guy speaks my language. These are the guys that I, I've cut my teeth on, whose books that I read. Um, I even have, it's up there on my shelf somewhere, In Light of Eternity. It's uh, it's Raven Hills. Oh, dude. Mac, Mac, oh. Uh, Tomlinson wrote it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So if if you guys, if you guys, I don't even know how to describe it. If you've never listened to Leonard Ravenhill, watched any of his stuff, David Wilkerson, any of these these guys, um, they 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 really cause what's dead to come alive inside, like Eric said. And um, yeah, so guys, thank you so much for watching. Uh, do yourself a favor, go check out Eric's music, check out his teachings on YouTube, check out his books. I have a couple of them. They're actually not here. They're actually at home. They sit next to my recliner. So uh, you actually just wrote a devotional recently, didn't you? Or something that like um, letters or something like that for, I forget what it was called. That one I don't have. 
Um, yeah, yeah, we have a bunch of little booklet sets. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so guys, check that out. Eric, thank you so much, man, for being on here. Um, really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully you guys are touched, you're encouraged. Um, God wants to do this stuff, guys. God wants to become real. He's touching young people today. And I really do believe with all my heart that we're about to see a great outpouring of his spirit because it's not about legalizing anything. And I'm not opposed to any of that that brings change, guys. It is when God steps down and changes the heart from the inside out that change results and transformation comes. So Eric, thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you.